Thank you, Dale. Uh, if you'd like to take a copy of the scriptures um, and turn to Revelation chapter 2, we'll continue in our series. However, uh, I'm going to spend a pretty good chunk of time on one verse. <laughs> so, you'll be looking at uh, chapter 2, verse 17, and it's the, uh, the end of the uh, letter that Jesus dictated to John for the church at Pergamum. And uh, so in, John, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 17, it says, The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows except the one who received it. Now, I'm a, uh, I'm a product of the 60s and the 70s, probably the two best decades in modern history, at least as far as music and fashion go. My daughter often says, I can't believe the 70s were wasted on you guys. But... Um, you know, every generation has its slang words, but uh, let's see how many of you remember uh, these. Groovy. Far out. Right on. Can you dig it? And uh, one we, word we used a lot was the word bread. And it was like, uh, dude, I'm out of bread. And that didn't mean that your wonder loaf had... Uh, gotten consumed, it meant you're out of money. Dude, I'm out of dough. <laughs> I'm out of bread, right? Anybody remember that? And uh, so, <laughs> most of us were. And, uh, and bread has always been a, a significant metaphor in the Bible. Uh, bread is equivalent to the bare essentials for life, for survival, for existence. And sometimes it's called the staff of life. It's the stuff that made life possible. And I want to have you think about how many times the Bible refers to bread. You know, Jesus was born in a town called Bethlehem, which was the house of bread. Uh, bread came from heaven, and it was called, what is it? No, it was called, what is it? That's what the word manna means. Literally, manna came down from heaven. The people were going, what is it? And it sustained them for 40 years in the wilderness. The Israelites could not farm there because they were constantly on the move. Uh, they could graze what livestock they had, but they couldn't plant fields to grow barley or corn. There was no water in the desert. No time, uh, there was no time for them to let a crop grow because they were always moving. They wandered for 40 years because of their unbelief regarding possession of Canaan. Now, we, I, I don't collaborate with the children's lesson ever. Dale came up with that on his own. But Joshua was one of the spies, went into, looked Canaan over, came back, said, let's go take it. 
And the people, the rest of the spies, other than Caleb, there were 10 out of the 12 that gave a bad report. So we can never take it. They're giants. They're fortified cities and whatnot. And so they disobeyed God. And so they uh, had to suffer the consequences. And in Numbers chapter 14, God gave them a judgment. He said, your sons shall be shepherds for 40 years in the wilderness, and they will suffer for your unfaithfulness until your corpses lie in the wilderness according to the number of days which you spied out the land, 40 days. And for every day you shall bear your guilt a year, even 40 years, and you will know my opposition. Boy, that was a severe punishment. But it was because they had disobeyed God. They wandered 40 years, but God is a God of compassion and grace. He sustained them. Forty years with stuff called, what is it? This manna that came down from heaven, and every day they could gather enough for the day. And then on the day before the Sabbath, there was twice as much that they could gather so that they wouldn't go out on the Sabbath to glean it. But if they took more than they needed during a a regular day, they would come up the next day, open the jar, and it would be wormy and stale and foul. And God did this for 40 years to teach them something extremely important. In the New Testament, Jesus was addressing a group of people. And uh, John chapter 6 tells us how Jesus fed 5,000 people with bread and fish. And the next day, there were a number of people from this group that went looking for Jesus And when they found him, he said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me because you saw signs. In other words, you you seek me not because you saw signs. They did not grasp what was happening when he fed them with the loaves and fishes. He says, but you are seeking me because you ate some of the loaves and were filled. And then he said, do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him the Father, God, has set his seal. Therefore they said to him, well, what are we supposed to do? What are the works that we are to do? And Jesus said, this is the work of God, verse 29, that you believe in him whom he has sent. That's the work. And they said to him, what then are you doing as a sign so that we may believe you? That work you are performing. What, what are you doing? What is it? Does it sound familiar? And our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. They say, they say what is it? Well, by the way, our fathers ate the what is it? In the wilderness. And he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread which of God is that which came down out of heaven and gives life 
to the world. And they said, Lord, give us this bread. <laughs> right? We enjoy a free lunch. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me will not be hungry, and the one who believes in me will never be thirsty. But I said to you that you have indeed seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everything that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I certainly will not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I lose nothing, but I will raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. These are the words of Jesus. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. Not somebody else. Not Moses. Not some prophet. Jesus said, I am the bread that has come out of heaven and I will raise them up on the last day. So do you see what Jesus is saying? He's saying that bread is essential. It's the staff of life. And he says, I am the bread of life. To believe on him is to ingest, to partake of him by faith. It means to commit yourself to him alone as the source of your life and wholeness. And there were many at this conversation that refused to believe him. They wanted temporal solutions to their temporal troubles. And they were actually offended because Jesus insisted on them coming to grips with their moral and spiritual starvation. These people were morally bankrupt. Now, they were good Ten Commandment keepers. These were Jews. These were people that had a very high, rigid moral code. But they didn't recognize their moral bankruptcy, their starvation of the soul. And so Jesus compared himself to the manna that God provided the ancestors that they had in the wilderness. The manna was God's way of foreshadowing what would be true of his son, Jesus, the bread of life. God sent that manna on this unworthy, undeserving group of people that were going to wander for 40 years as a sign that he would send the bread of heaven at a later date to the undeserving and morally bankrupt people. And that's you and me. That's hard for us to, to accept because it, it offends our sensibilities. It, it offends our pride. That's why these people were having a hard time with Jesus is because he was nailing it right to the heart and they were having a hard time accepting that. But Jesus said in the 14th chapter of John, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So either Jesus' words are true. There's no disputing that he said them. 
The question is, are they true? Do words matter? In Revelation 2.17, Jesus promised two things to those who overcome. Now, you remember the situation in Pergamum? There was persecution by both Jews and Romans. There was this cult of Caesar worship there. There was trouble from inside the church as well because there was a group of people that were following the teaching of Balaam and the Nicolaitans, it says. Well, who was Balaam? Well, you remember he was the guy that was hired to bring a curse upon the Israelites. And God warned him that he couldn't do it, and so he didn't. He, on two occasions, pronounced a blessing instead of a curse. And the man that hired him was so upset. And Balaam says, don't worry about it. I can't curse them because they are blessed of God. But listen, if you can get them to turn from God's promises and God's covenant, then his protection and blessing will leave them. Well, how do you do that? Well, just go there and say, you know what? We want to welcome you. In fact, why don't you intermarry with us and we'll just get along fine. And so the women of that country uh, made themselves presentable to the men. The men thought that was a great idea. They married. They ended up worshiping the, the pagan gods of the nation, and God's blessing was removed. It was horrible because they didn't trust God. Do words matter? And then in the church, in Pergamum, there was this group of people saying, listen, you can go ahead and you can go to the little temple for Caesar and you can bow your knee and you can say Caesar is Lord and get your certificate because it really doesn't matter what you say. And God knows that you really don't mean it in your heart. And if you do that, you'll save your neck because what good are you if you're dead to your family or what good are you if you're dead How can you help God in anything? So just go in there. God knows what you do with your body, what you do with your mouth, what you say isn't that important as long as you don't mean it. And so there's this horrible temptation in the church to say, well, you know, God knows what I really mean. I could go. I could do that. Then the Romans are off my back. But God does know, doesn't he? And to say that Caesar is Lord would be to blaspheme Jesus, the one who died to save them. Caesar wasn't dying to save them. Caesar was killing you if you didn't worship him. And so you could see this temptation. Do you see the lure of it? To give in to the false teachers to choose their own safety and security. This is what Jesus was talking about with this crowd of people. Oh, give us this bread. We, you know, and he's going, you, you need to work for food that's eternal, not temporal. Well, what's the work we're supposed to do? What is it you're doing? And Jesus said, this is the work he believed and the one whom he sent, which meant that they would have to trust God and not themselves. 
You might remember the story back in Daniel. There were three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember that Nebuchadnezzar built this huge golden statue. And they proclaimed this day that when you hear the bagpipes and the flutes and the drums, that everybody's to stop what they're doing. They're supposed to face this golden image and bow down and worship it. And so this was all announced. Everybody was told what day it would be. And there were all these, this fanfare and parades and everything for the great Nebuchadnezzar. And the music began to play. And everybody bowed down except these three guys. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they said, you guys, you need to bow down. And they said, we're not going to do it. And so they arrested them and they took him right to Nebuchadnezzar himself. And Nebuchadnezzar, being the great guy he is, says, look, you guys, maybe you didn't understand. So I'm going to give you another chance. If you'll just... When the music starts playing, if you'll bow down, everything will be fine. And they said, no, we're not going to do it. He says, don't you know what's going to happen to you if you don't? And they said to him, listen, Nebuchadnezzar, we're not in need of an answer to give you concerning this matter. We don't, we don't answer to you. Wow. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods nor worship the golden statue that you set up. And you remember he was really mad now, and he heated up the furnace seven times hotter. So hot that the guards that were thrown, and these guards, by the way, were his elite commanders. And they took them, and when they opened the doors of the furnace to throw them in, the three went in, but the guys that were throwing them in were consumed by the fire. It was so hot. And the next thing you know, Nebuchadnezzar's watching, and he sees four people in there. And he's like, wait a minute. I thought there were three of them. But there's a fourth that looks like the Son of Man. Who was the Son of Man? The Lord God was right in the midst of the fire with them. That was a great victory for them. But there were many and have been many, and there are many right now who are giving their lives for their testimony of Jesus who don't get escaped from the fire, but they do have the Son of Man, with them. And he has not failed them. Because Jesus said, I will raise him up on the last day. To him who overcomes, I will give him the hidden manna. And he will receive a stone with a name written on it that only those who receive it will know. Do you remember a story about Jesus? He had been baptized, and there was the voice out of heaven that said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And immediately after Jesus' baptism, the Bible says the Spirit led him around in the wilderness 
for 40 days. So the Israelites, when they disobeyed God, wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, one year for every day that they spied out the land. Now Jesus has gone to the river to be baptized, not because he was a sinner. The baptism of John was for sinners. When Jesus came, John said, oh, wait a minute, I should, you, you should be baptizing me. And Jesus said, no, permit it now to fulfill righteousness. Why? He's identifying with us. And then he's driven into the wilderness as if he were disobedient to God. And he fasted for 40 days, being tempted of the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when those days had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said, if you're the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. Which bread did Jesus choose? The bread of the lie or the bread of truth? God alone gives life. God alone sustains life. Life does not originate from this earth because the earth did not exist or was able to bear fruit until the Creator gave it the ability to do so. Earth Day is a sham. The worship of the earth is idolatry. God made the earth and gave it its ability to bear life. And Jesus knew this full well because He was at the beginning. And even now, He holds everything together by His Word The Apostle Paul wrote to the Colossians, he said, Jesus is before all things, and in him everything holds together. And I mean everything. I had a 1966 Buick LeSabre when I was going to college. Six to seven aircraft could land on that thing. It was so big. I drove it to Canada to school, and... Transmission started acting up on it. I had no money. I had to drive back to Idaho. And I was torn between what I should do. And I thought, you know what? If God can heal, he can heal a car. And so I laid my hands on the car and I pled this verse over it. Lord Jesus, in you, everything holds together. And I got in it and drove it home. Drove it around that summer, sold it to my sister, who drove it for like five years. And right after she sold it, the next person that had it, the transmission went out. Remember this, if you remember nothing at all, that we are spiritual beings with bodies. We are not physical beings with spirits. And there's a difference. We are spiritual beings with bodies, not physical beings with spirits. The body does matter to God, and that's why he will raise it up on the last day. 
because when he created us, he gave us bodies to conform to this existence that we might have the ability to rule and reign with him here. He gave us bodies to interact with this world. It was his purpose. When we die, we're not going to be disembodied spirits sitting on clouds playing harps. Thank God. But we have no idea what his future is for us except that he's creating a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And he's going to raise us up in bodies that are not messed up like they are now. And we're going to have some wonderful stuff to do. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So you, you can't just go, well, I, I'm going to be a Christian today. The Holy Spirit and the Father must draw you to the conclusion and understanding that Jesus is the bread of life. We don't figure this out on our own. If it's coming to us spiritually, if it's coming to us and we can understand that Jesus is the bread of life, it's because God has given us the gift of knowing it. But the body must follow the spirit. Because our true food and our true drink are spiritual, not physical. And so when we take communion, we use the physical elements to teach us and to give us a tangible expression of faith. But listen, this isn't, this isn't his body and this isn't his blood. These are reminders of that, that he gave his body and his blood and we take him by faith. And we trust him. In John 6, Jesus went on to say, I'm the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. They ate the what is it, but they didn't have eternal life. They died. But this, and he's referring to himself, is the bread that comes out of heaven so that anyone may eat it and not die. Now, try to imagine their place, and perhaps today you're thinking, wow, this is kind of weird. Because Jesus said, I'm the living bread that came down out of heaven. And if anybody eats from this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I will give for the life of the world is also my flesh. And then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? That's gross, right? Everybody say that's gross. I mean, that's what they're thinking. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. And these people are going. Because remember, 90% of their righteousness was based on do's and don'ts. And some of those do's and don'ts had to do with what they ate. And people were not on the kosher menu. And Jesus said, my flesh is true food, my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Now he's speaking spiritually. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, the one who eats me, he also will live because of me. 
This is the bread that came down out of heaven. Not as the fathers ate and died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. Now these things he said in the synagogue at Capernaum. And many of his disciples heard this and they said, This is very, very unpleasant. Who can listen to this? And Jesus, aware that his disciples were complaining about this, said to them, Is this offensive to you? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh provides no benefit. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Do words matter? But there are some of you who do not believe. Revelation 2.17 shows us two things, manna and stones. Can you imagine when Jesus was being tempted? And if any of you have ever walked out in the desert here, have you ever noticed that there are a lot of rocks out there that look like loaves of bread? I mean, seriously. And Jesus is exceedingly hungry, and he's sitting there, And he's looking at these rocks in the desert and he's going, man, that looks just like a bread that mom used to make, you know. And there's this suggestion. You can do it if, if you're the son of God. Just before that, 40 days before, a voice from heaven said, this is my son And I'm pleased with him. And now the devil's saying to him, if, if you can't trust that, you've got to take the bread made from a stone and then you'll know. Then you'll know that you're the son of God. And Jesus said, I already know because... The bread is the word of God. And Jesus says to him who overcomes, I will give the hidden manna, which is Jesus himself, so that even if our temporal life is snuffed out by execution or by starvation or by disease or by disaster, you can live... In terror, if you would like, or you can take your nourishment from the eternal bread and face anything that comes your way. Because we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And so the stories have this purpose to tell us that stones have a purpose. They're not to be manipulated into bread. But remember that Jesus is the chief corner stone. He is the stone that the builders rejected, but he has now become the chief cornerstone. And when we overcome, he gives the manna, which is him, 
and he gives us a stone with a name written on it. And the only one who knows what that name is is the one who receives it. So I want you to take your cup, and I'll have the worship team come. And if you haven't received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today you can do that. Because this is the work that he said you must do, believe in him whom he has sent. Boy, we complicate that, but it's just that simple. He is the bread. He is the blood. We take this just to remind us that his body was given and broken for us and that his blood was shed that we might have our sins forgiven. And if you will acknowledge in your heart of hearts, I am a bankrupt person, no matter how hard I've tried, but I'm going to eat of this bread and live. I'm going to believe. Not this, but him. And this is just a way of saying, I trust you, Lord. I trust you gave your body for me and shed your blood for me. When you are ready, you peel it and take it, worship him and give him thanks for the life he gives you through faith in Jesus' name. Oh, how could it?